Hello and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists who are committed to planetary purpose, or in other words, a holistic vision for planet Earth. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Ian Michael Iber. Ian Michael is the CEO of Holos, which is bridging the ancient wisdom of sacred plant medicines with the future of wellness through transformational retreat center design. He was previously the director of projects at Esalen for almost five years. Ian's life is devoted to creating inspiring spaces for the transformation of individuals, organizations, and society. Through the various projects and initiatives he has been involved in, such as the Esalen Adult Learning Center in California, he is consistently demonstrating the capacity to take initiatives from vision through manifestation. And now translating this to Holos, he, the belief really lies in approaching sacred plant medicines with respect. Holos advocates the responsible, ethical, and mindful use of sacred plant medicines for personal growth, transformation, and healing. Ian is committed to creating a world that works for everyone, including all the diverse forms of life on Earth. And so with these words, it's an honor to introduce you to the show, Ian. Welcome. Great. Thank you so much. What a generous introduction. Thank you. Yeah, man, you've been up to lots, lots of good. I mean, five years at Esalen managing, directing projects, that alone, I think is like probably worth of a lifetime of stories <laughs> that's true yeah that was really the apex thus far of uh experiencing the kind of community and ethos that i want to live inside of and the intention for um contributing to a community like that really began in my teenage years when i was uh, 17 i was reflecting on what the world was needing and and the way that I want to live inside the world. I was living in the middle of Alaska where I grew up and I had this impulse um, as a vegetarian or, or vegan to move to Central America and be part of a regenerative community, be part of a more land-based community. And it made sense to be somewhere warmer since I was a vegetarian. There's, uh, and so I hitchhiked from Alaska to Mexico when I was 18 and on the way down, uh, you know, saw Big Sur as this really powerful landscape, but didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. And then 15 years later, ended up running one of the grandmother retreat centers and helping redesign and rebuild what was happening there. And it was a, really an honor to be part of a, a community like that, that really represents the values that I had been building towards my whole adult life. Really cool. I think you're, you're really um, making a, a strong point there is like living within the values or the frameworks which like resonate most with you. And um, that's why I'm having you on today because I feel like a lot of us um, have glimpses of that. Some of us know that feeling really well. It's their life every day. But a lot of us have glimpses of that because having this as a sustainable environment around you, having this retreat center experience around you all the time, I think we're not quite there yet on a, on a larger scale, right? We're still a few steps away from actually having this holistic way of living in place. So maybe share a bit with us, like in those five years, like how did it feel to kind of come into a community like that as a beginner or outsider, or at least that the new, the new guy? Yeah. When I came into Esalen, it was uh, about 50 years old, 50 years young. And so there was a lot of established narrative already of what Esalen is and what it contributes to the world and the human potential movement. But there's 
there's this phenomena with strong archetypal um, symbols in our in our culture like Esalen where everyone has their own projection onto it of what it actually is and so while I got to experience it as my own um, as my own fantasy I also got to really get a sense of what the whole tapestry of people how they relate to it and it's really a home a spiritual home for a lot of people because such powerful experiences happen there um, and so I had a sensitivity and humility um, built into the way that I was relating to Esalen and relating to that legacy. And when, when I go into a community, I really want to know, like, what is the indigenous history? What is the ecological history? And what is the cultural history? And a really important piece of that, whether it was in Alaska or at Esalen, for me is getting to know the elders, getting to know the leadership, and hearing the stories and really immersing myself from a place of, of humility um, into what that story is. And so Esalen could provide anyone a lifetime of, of stories and learning of just what's happened in the last 50 years. And I still am continuing to live into that legacy in my own way in the broader world now that I have had that experience there. Um, but when I came to Esalen, I had just gotten out of a master's program in community mental health and integral counseling psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies. And so there's a way that those two institutes, the Esalen Institute and, and CIIS, they were birthed at the same time in the Bay Area and, and the Central Coast there. And so I already had been part of that lineage and had a lot of understandings of the culture. And so there was a way that it was fairly easy for me to integrate into the Big Sur community and into Esalen. Also, growing up in Alaska, there was this sense of reverence for the raw power of nature. And I feel like the people of Big Sur also hold that ethos. And so there was a way that it was really easy to move into Esalen and to contribute um, to, the, to the future of its legacy. And then there were ways that it was also really challenging. You know, the interpersonal dynamics within a small community require you to really up-level yourself and be as fully transparent as possible. It's kind of like in an intimate relationship or a business relationship, living in community provides you a mirror of who you are and how you're showing up that can be um, very direct and very um, transformational if you allow it to work you in that way. And so through my four and a half years at Esalen, I, I definitely had a lot of opportunities for reflection and, and grew a lot. Powerful. Let me feel in and drop in there like a, a little bit more. So yeah. if you were to, it's just for the sake of numbers, if you were to distill it into three pieces of learning about listening and about the way you arrived with the elders, the existing narrative, maybe things you didn't know in the first day, but that you know now, like, what are, what are some of the learnings around listening there? Yeah, I really love that you brought it back to listening um, because the listening process isn't just an external phenomena where we're listening to what is around us, what the culture is saying, what people are reflecting to us, but I've really come to know listening as also a very much an inward process, whether you call it intuition or, um, or listening to your somatic awareness. There's a way that my own being 
body, mind, and spirit is, is like a tuning fork. Like if I really listen to it, it will direct my attention towards what I'm meant to focus on. And so, you know, I listen to what inspires me, what really makes me feel alive and what connections are really authentic. And so at Esalen, that was something I really practiced and created lifelong connections and a lot of the serendipity that unfolded in the way that we rebuilt the lodge and incorporated local materials or local artisans. A lot of that came by just that process of listening to my own highest joy and what was really calling and inspiring me. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, there's, there's probably more than three in, in just that short answer. That's, <laughs> I, f I find listening is, is an interesting subject because as you said, like it, for a lot of people listening is something that happens on the external plane. It has to do with how well you're hearing, but there's so many layers. There's the, the layer of the mind, the layer of the body, the layer of the emotions, right? And um, yeah, it's a very informative space. Uh, quite something I personally would have wished and hoped for school would have actually taught me about. So I didn't have to go into life like, you know, uh, the, the like highly energetic teenager I was when I first went into life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, two amazing kids, seven and 14. And that's something that I always try to encourage or draw out of them is their capacity to listen to themselves and to allow all of their emotions to be present. And there's a way that um, there's there's a, a a psychological framework called psychosynthesis, and it's kind of about expanding your awareness and your capacity to hold all the different pieces of the human experience. And so I feel like as we listen to ourselves and become more familiar with the landscape of our own being, we have more capacity and presence to be open to everything that comes to us. And yeah, I think that was a large part. The process that I experienced at Esalen was getting in touch with more parts of myself in the context of community and my professional life. And really, it brought me into another level of, of wholeness because no parts of myself were, um, weren't welcome. You know, and they, they used to have a, a process group that every department at Esalen would participate in. And so you'd have these containers where if something was arising for you in your professional life or in your relationship to the community, there was a safe place where that could be expressed and parts of yourself could really come to the forefront and not be judged, but have an opportunity for integration. And I found that to be a really powerful practice as a community of having those containers where things can be voiced and where people can can really get to know themselves and others in a deeper context that isn't part of the normal social uh, contracts that we have of like, here's the band of human experience that is allowed in this context that provided a wider valence for what's possible and for really intimacy, intimacy with community and self. Right. Especially with yourself. Right. Cause I mean, you show those layers, not necessarily to show others, you show them to get to know yourself. And then you realize, oh, wow, I did just not feel heard. And so I got louder and I've been doing this for years because actually that's the pattern in my family or whatever it is, right? Or I, I did just shut down and have nothing to say, pretending that I'm okay with what is, right? Those are, I guess, like two really common patterns in people. I certainly experienced them myself like over and over. And 
um, again, like those transformational spaces are very rarely given in kind of like classical uh, society that, that we, most of us come through it now in the 2019, beginning the 2020 age. Um, but how are you transferring something like this into a transformational center design? Because that's what you're doing now with Holos, right? Like you've made all these different experiences. Like how does something like that translate into in, in, in your mind as a systems architect? Yeah, one thing that was, you know, the benefit that I had of, of stepping into Esalen is that a lot of those systems were already in place. And during my time there, especially towards the end, I got to see some of them deconstruct and I got to see the way that that influences the culture and the fabric of the community. And um, so largely the last year of my time at Esalen was highlighting the importance of some of the components of the community that I really believe in. And these are really basic human values that I feel like we've forgotten and that are important. So things like being close to where your food comes from, um, having a place where children are safe, having a way that elders are respected and that there can be a transfer of lineage. And so really what, what all of this showed me is that um, you know, you can have processes like Gestalt and you can have transformational work and you can have um, personal development and all of these pieces. And one of the really important components is, is that they're held by a fabric of community that's multi-generational and is also connected to the ecology of place. I think as human beings, one of our, uh, one of the big things that we're experiencing in an unconscious way is, is a grieving of our relationship to place. And this is going to become even more so in the years to come. And in a lot of parts of the world where climate change is really affecting people, there's a lot of um, displacement and people needing to feel a sense of ground again. And why I'm sharing all this is because is I feel like there was a period of time where I was likely doing something that we call spiritual bypassing, where I thought that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you actually could just go to self-actualization and be a monk and not worry about the basic constituents of life. Um, and I've really been humbled over the years to the recognition that those basic constituents of life, community, food, shelter, are actually really spiritual phenomena. And if we engage in them yeah, in yeah. a conscious way, it's like that becomes the dharmic path. And so with holos and with creating spaces, there's a recognition that one of the powerful integration tools and one of the powerful teaching tools is just having people taste and experience the basic constituents of life, where their food comes from, you know, being conscious of the way that it's prepared, being conscious of of all of the flows of, of the materials that go through our lives, you know, and, and then being incorporated into community. And so with Holos, as we choose places that we're going to operate or as we partner in designing communities, um, we will design into it ways that people get to know the ecology and ways that the community is strengthened by ongoing dialogue. Um, and that can be as simple as, setting up weekly, monthly meetings that are really an open space for people to express. And there's a way that 
um, biomimicry it has really powerful potential for shifting our society and how we relate to each other. So bio biomimicry is basically the principle that nature has things to offer our human systems and our human um, constructed world and design. And in an ecological system, um, everything is contributing their little piece. And in human systems, in companies or in communities, I find that there's there's these stronger voices or more forceful, um, forceful personalities that often get to dominate and have more power. And then the voices that are quieter or kind of the more intuitive internal um, people get drowned out. And so one of the things that I want to see in any community or in any um, space that we set up is that there's a place where those quieter voices have an opportunity to contribute because that's the strength of the human system, similar to an ecological system, is reliant on those quieter voices, whether it's the bees or the mushrooms or the hummingbirds. Those like smaller, quieter voices are actually what are keeping the whole fabric of the ecology healthy. And similarly, in an organization or a business, um, it's those that are really on the ground doing the work um, tasting the nectar of each moment that are keeping the fabric of the of the community or the experience strong. Um, so, you know, that's a long way of saying um, at Esalen, I learned that all voices should be heard. And yeah. I intend to, to create spaces and to set up systems where that is possible. Yeah, that, that was a really, really awesome, lengthy explanation of that phenomena because we kind of came from listening, right? And so listening as the human species at this point will really require us to kind of be listening to the more silent voices because we've become the dominator species on, on this rock. And, you know, um, we can't really keep going the same way. We know that since like three to four decades and it's time for action, right? So, um very interesting because it really requires to do that in one's own life. And I, I definitely relate like the last seven years were a whole lot of like understanding when it is important to match kind of the, the power hierarchies in intensity and like, kind of in, in force and loudness and when to kind of um, play with them through that space that I can cultivate on my inside. Because when I uh, meditate and, and I do since, since a decade and, you know, spaces sometimes become a little bit more vast in actual personal interactions and you realize i could just like match the guy's voice or show up in the same body posture and this is kind of what i've learned growing up right and because my my school was a public school in germany that was great but but, but not super conscious and so i've realized over the years that when i actually shift the internal subtle energies in an interaction and uh, maybe take something that my ego wouldn't wouldn't like to 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 just have this other person like rampantly get louder but i can stay present with compassion and love and maybe take a deep breath and still voice what i really feel still voice what i really think um, very new realities become possible i think that's why i'm saying that very new realities become possible and this is one of the things i'm learning through this journey on on this podcast is in order to create change we need action taking people that create the space for listening, right? And new things, newness in itself is the innovation we're looking for. 
when we're all just um, saying these things because they sound good, but then we go back to doing the same things our parents' generation did, we'll probably not cut, cut uh, the curve all the way to climate restoration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, in, in choosing actions, um, I feel like the stillness is really important prior to choosing those actions. You know, that deep listening that you're talking about. There's, there was a movement in the 70s, the deep ecology movement, and it was really a spiritual practice of listening. And um, there's a way that with social media and all of the different stimulation that we have in our world right now, especially in urban environments, which, you know, a large uh, amount of the human species is moving towards urbanization. I find that in these urban environments personally that the amount of stimulation and distraction um, prevents me from change and really being have those places in ourselves and in the world where we can become still in order to have wise choices. So th this is really interesting, right? Because as we're kind of stepping forward into the 2020s, we know technology won't slow down. We'll, we'll get like a whole bunch of uh, internet of things, automations going that, that will kind of blow our minds. So we can likely expect that the world around us is going to get even more fast, mm -hmm. right? That the world around us is going to get even more uh, synchronized to text kind of heartbeat. And so how do you see those two kind of paradigms clashing where we have this like hyperspeed kind of desire for action and something to happen, um, which isn't bad, but it's, it's definitely very noisy. And then we have this whole movement of people who um, choose to create the physical space in their life, who choose to live really immersed in nature. And I don't think one is better or the other. I really believe they kind of need each other. Mm -hmm. But how do you see them clashing? Because like, I feel like you, you're sitting at an interesting precipice there. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a way to create that stillness and sense of center within all of the movement. Um, there's, there's two moments as you were talking that I was reminded of. I just got back from Burning Man a week ago, and there were two moments at Burning Man that what you were describing um, felt really poignant. And one was there was a, uh, a conductor that was conducting an orchestra near near this uh, this installation called the winged portal and I was really contemplating the way that life um, that our lives as human beings we can act like a conductor like we don't have to we don't have to be playing all the instruments and that's a way that we can relate to technology too it's like we don't have to engage with all the things. They can be happening in our lives and around us. But if we can stay centered in how we want to create the music of our own lives, I feel like that's a really great analogy for just a way of being that um, is additive instead of getting too caught up in, in, all of the, in all of the noise. And the other moment that I'm reminded of um, was after the man burns at burning man there's kind of like all this dispersion of, of a large amount of energy and there's loud art cars and sound camps and there's all this like very loud music happening in the desert and a group of friends and i just strapped a huge sound system to the back of my bike and we 
started playing medicine music, basically like music from the Amazon or um, Sanskrit chanting and different things. And we created this bubble of like really beautiful sonic space. And we just drove through the desert back and forth. And it was a really great experience for me that when we make a strong choice towards creating our own sanctity and, and peace, we can influence a lot of people that way. And whatever noise is happening in the world, whatever chaos, whatever um, is, is challenging out there, we have the capacity to create our own sacred space. And so I think that's, that's gonna be the practice. And you know, there's, there's a number of, of great leaders in San Francisco that are, are really looking at what is the addictive nature of these technologies, whether it's our smartphones or apps or different things, and how do we as human beings design for human optimization, which isn't just being engaged with the technology, but allows the technology to be in service. Yeah, that's a really big one. How do we create technology from a place of biomimicry, right? So that it is just part of that larger cosmic principle. Yeah. Hey, I have another question that I kind of wanted to stitch back into where we started earlier. So mm -hmm. it's about trust. And I think like when we talk about technology and society, trust is a huge topic as well. Um, you, you explained earlier how people at Esalen kind of started trusting you by being more transparent and kind of showing up for your own growth and learning. But what's required for you to feel trust? Hmm. I think similarly, um, when, I, when I see someone that is really curious and willing to learn about themselves and others, that creates a certain level of trust. So I recognize areas when I was at Esalen that I expanded my capacity to be trustworthy. And the way that I did that was to recognize the parts of myself where there was a hiding or there was like a contraction or there was fear. And so being able to meet those contractions or meet those fears or meet those parts that were like trying to hide um, and allow them to really be seen, that created trust um, in me with others. And similarly, I truly trust others when I see that there's nothing that they're hiding, that there may be aspects of themselves that aren't so pretty or that maybe they're scared of, but the willingness to just meet those and to own it, that creates trust because then I know that we're moving in a place that's, that's honest and transparent. Boom. I, I love what you're saying. I totally relate personally. Um, definitely sometimes scary to show parts of yourself that uh, either are not deemed as appropriate in society or you're afraid of yourself or that you're simply struggling with because they're part of this identity finding in a very normative uh, world. But yeah. here's why I love this answer at this moment in time, because it's so accurate to the technology bubble as well. Like, couldn't we trust technology more if we just kind of had a better understanding of what's truly happening in people's kind of like coding labs, you know, I mean, I, I get it. I will not ever, Julian will not ever understand all of it. Like no chance. I'm not even going to try. Um, but you know, I, I'm even reminded of the movie, the circle with like Tom Hanks and Emma Watson, where like the leadership 
itself was still not being filmed. Everyone else was, but, but they weren't. So isn't that one of the missing pieces that, that we're, we're pretending that we're not as powerful uh, in destroying the earth. So we're not destroying the earth. We're pretending that technology can take over. So we, we, we just kind of let everyone do what they're doing on economic agendas. I feel like that's one of the most fundamental keys to shift is an understanding of trust as the human species. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's something around um, this word accessibility. So like, if you, if you feel accessible to me, then I trust you. And that doesn't mean that you share everything, but that there's nothing that you wouldn't be willing to share or wouldn't, you know, wouldn't fully hide. Like there's appropriate times and spaces to share things. But similarly, let's, let's say with technology using that analogy, um, it's like there are definitely layers of technology in the way that things are being designed that aren't fully transparent that people don't know about or that people are having, you want to, you know, closed room discussions about that are very manipulative, that are very much based on an economic model of extracting. And so this economic model of extraction has been turned from not just the physical world of extractive economies taking resources, but has now been turned towards the social world and the attention economy. So <clears throat> a lot of these apps and, and different programs are designed to extract your attention and to get as much of your attention as possible. And then through that, you basically become part of a programming experiment. It's like, it's like with media and with, with movies, you know, we call it programming, but it, that's what it actually is. Totally. It's programming society. It's programming human beings based on specific value sets of Hollywood or Silicon Valley or a few individuals. And, you know, so my imagination goes to, well, what if that was turned towards a programming of liberation where our attention is no longer being extracted, but we're being taught that actually our attention is the greatest resource and the most powerful resource we have. Because like you, like you said, if we recognize our capacity to both create and destroy, then we can direct our attention towards a more re regenerative, cooperative world. And so that's what I'm hopeful about. And you know, this kind of goes full circle to what Holos is and what it's meant to be is really an opportunity for people to become liberated by recognizing the interdependence that we have with all things. Mm. And so you know, plant medicines have been a really powerful catalyst of that for me. I have this working experience or theory that whether it's plant medicines or interpersonal psychological work or meditation, all of these things are just becoming mirrors of our consciousness so that we can see, you know, that we are a part of all things. It's like everything actually in one way or another has consciousness in some latent form. And I believe that the plants just show us that, show us that they have their own story, they have their own intelligence, they have their own, their own mission, and that they can illuminate that we are consciousness, they are consciousness, and we are all interdependent on this earth. Beautifully put, brother. Um, I feel like the term responsibility comes up for me when I hear that we're interconnected consciousness. 
you know, because mm-hmm. like different people are at different places of uh, education, of uh, co- conscious kind of opening, but also on like just agendas, right? Like um, some economic agendas, um, they maybe made sense 20 years ago. You know, they were maybe still really necessary for certain kinds of growth to happen. But at this point, I feel like we have companies like, let's say, Facebook or Google within a decade, you know, touch more than a billion or two billion or even three billion people's lives. And we still haven't really, on a public stage, discussed responsibilities beyond a CSR officer, like a corporate social responsibility officer in your company. Like companies are now officially becoming more powerful than nation states. Right. And the nation states themselves are still pretty powerful and, and, and making quite the, quite the entertainment show uh, out of politics these days. Not even to mention religion, which would probably be the third entity. But how do you, how do you see that? Like, I, I, just, I just would love to hear like, your, your heartfelt um, kind of position on that. Like, is it useful for us to put pressure or uh, attention towards making entities more responsible or is it more like just care about yourself and make yourself more responsible and mm, by that that's a really good question i think it's an i think it's an and answer where the individual transformation and the individual interactions are the groundswell that ultimately creates the pressure on the systems that that can really shift things and there are really specific levers in the world that are that are world shaping. So religion and government and business are world shaping levers. And so if you can work with those that are really at the forefront of those different levers, great change can happen really rapidly. Um, so I've been really in this contemplation of how powerful the military industrial complex has been in shaping the world in the last hundred years. And if that same amount of focus and attention was put towards a regenerative paradigm, rebuilding ecosystems, rebuilding community, um, really honoring the earth and all species on the earth, very quickly we could see massive change, you know, it's like if we were able to to grab one of those levers and direct it towards building a world that works for everyone, we we could make a lot of progress really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I I feel I feel you there. Um, the optimist in me wants to say it's already happening, right? It's we are in the midst of the transition. A lot of the good things are starting to happen. We just kind of need to take the w- the wind out of the sail of the still destructive mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I, I I I don't know if that's really true because I life has definitely taught me about the ignorance of my individual perspective, you know. So mm-hmm. like maybe my last question for you today: um, How do you choose optimism in a world like this on a daily basis? That's a really great question. Um, when I went to Esalen, the first couple years, um, the maintenance department and a number of people. Uh, called me a delusional optimist because I was trying to create change within an organization that had been there for a long time and that, you know, uh, had a certain degree of, of yeah. set ideas and ways and traditions. And um, 
and for some reason I still have that delusional optimism and it's, it's, a, it's on a smaller scale. Like my optimism is, can I have a really positive, beautiful afternoon with my daughter? Um, and that is making the change that I want to see in the world. Or can I envision a community where we have our regenerative agriculture system and we're creating, you know, we're creating a, a, a funnel for people to come through and be washed and, and healed and, and have their consciousness expanded. And those little moments of just having a great afternoon with my daughter give me the hope that the bigger system is possible, that a bigger system of healing and of education and of consciousness is possible. So yeah, that's how I cultivate my delusional optimism is just by finding examples every day of beauty and of things that inspire me. And then it reminds me that, oh yeah, this is something that I want to share. And this is something that I think is all of our birthright. Here, here. I love that. It's our birthright. Um, Ian, Michael, thank you so much for the time. Is there anything else you'd love to share? Uh, anything you want to shout out or point mm. attention towards? I'm just really grateful for the spontaneous opportunity to, to talk with you and keep weaving this narrative of a world that makes sense for everyone. Excellent. Thank you for uh, co-creating co it. I think that's, we're all just leaning towards a future that we possibly no, it can happen, uh, you know, so mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And that's that, another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it, very much so, and we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to a Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of insight, evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, 
make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, th guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in, connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you and until soon.